Sit back. What NFC East quarterback? Relax. In the movie Ocean's Eleven. Put on your think cap. What prized possession did Danny Ocean get ready for the show? In chemistry, what is the name of the principal? And here's your host. During what year was the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Kevin. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to Think Cap. My name is Kevin, and it is my pleasure to be your host. For those of you tuning in for the first time, let me go over how this podcast is structured. At the beginning of the show, I will pose usually about 10 trivia questions to you and then give you a few moments to think of your answers. Then, I will go through each question one by one and give you the answer and the history or data or some fun facts behind the answer. So, this isn't your standard trivia outfit that just gives you a question and an answer. I will give you a brief breakdown that will hopefully satisfy all your curious minds while also entertaining you with my banter. My goal is that even if you're not the biggest trivia buff in the world, ThinkCap will become your go-to podcast to supplement your knowledge to help you learn a little bit along your commute or just whenever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcasts. The show is all general trivia, so you never know what topics you're going to get each week. If you are a fan of the show or if this is your first time listening and you enjoy what you're about to hear, I ask that you would please recommend the podcast to a friend or to a fellow trivia lover. Getting the word out there about ThinkCap really helps me to grow and produce more content for you guys. Um, to keep up with everything that I put out there, you can follow ThinkCap at T-H-I-N-K-K-A-P on Instagram or follow on Facebook with the same name. Um, there I post fun facts and historical events and there may even be some more merch giveaways in the coming weeks, so be on the lookout for that. And with that being said, let me once again welcome you to the ThinkCap Trivia Podcast and let's get this show started. Alright, so once again, I've got a couple different questions for you today, and what I'm going to do is read each question, give you a couple moments to think about each one, and then go through and break down each question one by one. So sit back and relax, and let me read these questions for you. Question number one. What two former presidents both passed away on July 4th, 1826, which is the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence? Once again, what two former presidents both passed away on July 4th, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence? Question number two. What famous musician made his name in the group Jimmy James and the Blue Flames? Once again, what famous musician made his name in the group Jimmy James and the Blue Flames? Question number three. In what city is Fort Bragg, the largest military installation by population in the world, located? Once again, in what city is Fort Bragg, which is the largest military installation by population in the world, located? Where is it? Question number four. What famous American's epitaph reads, free at last, free at last, thank God almighty, I'm free at last. Once again, what famous American's epitaph reads, 
Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Question number five. After restoration efforts in the early 2000s, at what angle does the Leaning Tower of Pisa tilt? Once again, after restoration efforts in the early 2000s, at what angle does the Leaning Tower of Pisa tilt? Question number six. Who was Time Magazine's first Man of the Year in 1927? Once again, who was Time Magazine's first Man of the Year in 1927? Question number seven. Originally written in Spanish, what is the best-selling book of all time after the Bible with an estimated 500 million copies sold? Once again, originally written in Spanish, what is the best-selling book of all time after the Bible with an estimated 500 million copies sold? Question number eight. What U.S. city is known as the Gateway to the West? Once again, what U.S. city is known as the Gateway to the West? Question number nine. In what city is Howard J. Lamad Stadium, home of the Little League World Series, located? Once again, in what city is Howard J. Lamad Stadium, home of the Little League World Series, located? And question number 10. This is our last question of this week's show. What name is given to days which have equal hours of daylight and darkness? Once again, what name is given to days which have equal hours of daylight and darkness? All right, so now that I have read all 10 questions for you and I have given you a few moments to think of your answers, what I'm going to do is go back and break down each question one by one, read the question for you again, and then give you a little bit of information behind the answer. So let's get started with question number one. Question number one was, what two former presidents both passed away on July 4th, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And your correct answer, the two presidents, former presidents, were Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. Thomas Jefferson and John Adams were the last surviving members of the original American revolutionaries who had formed a new country after breaking apart from the British Empire. The pair would consecutively serve as presidents from 1797 to 1801 and 1801 to 1809. John Adams was the country's second president and Jefferson was the third. John Adams passed away at the age of 90 and as he lay on his deathbed, his last words were reportedly, quote, Thomas Jefferson still survives. Unfortunately for him, and for Jefferson, I guess, Jefferson had actually passed away about five hours earlier at Monticello at the age of 83. Obviously, John Adams did not know this. Um, both of these founding fathers died natural deaths as their health declined in their older years, and the circumstances of their consecutive deaths only 
further links the two and the work that they did to establish the nation, which still stands to this day. Um, and it, yeah, it's just pretty fascinating that these two guys, both such prominent figures in American history, passed away within five hours of each other on the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Question number two was, what famous musician made his name in the group Jimmy James and the Blue Flames? And your correct answer is Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix is the right answer. Hendrix was a famous American guitarist born in 1942 in Seattle, Washington. He is one of the most influential musical artists in history, with Rock and Roll Hall of Fame describing him as the greatest instrumentalist in the history of rock music. After his discharge from the U.S. Army in 1962, Jimi Hendrix toured and recorded with several well-known R&B artists, including the Isley Brothers and Little Richard. By 1965, he had become established in New York's Harlem neighborhood, playing low-paying gigs and obscure venues. Hendrix was able to land a consistent gig at Café Wa, backed by the house band. His talent was evident to anyone who saw him, and soon he attracted other musicians who joined the band and they collectively called themselves Jimmy James and the Blue Flames. Hendrix chose the Blue Flames part of the name as a nod to Memphis blues singer Junior Parker's backup band, and because it rhymed with his stage name at the time, Jimmy James. The group often played five sets a night, sometimes six days a week, for little more than just tips. But with this group, he continued to grow his guitar acumen and began to distance himself from the R&B style in favor of a more traditional rock guitar style. With that style, Jimmy James and the Blue Flames managed to attract a lot of attention during their short run, including from some managers, so Chas Chandler, who played bass for The Animals, which, if you recall from the last episode, famously recorded The House of the Rising Sun. Chas Chandler was the first to offer them a breakthrough deal. When he first heard Jimmy James play, Chandler, quote, became so excited he spilled his milkshake all over himself. So he left and later would return to New York with Michael Jeffrey, who managed The Animals. Um, they came back to hear Hendrix, Jimmy James and the Blue Flames, and Jeffrey was equally swept away by Hendrix's talent, and the two agreed to become Hendrix's co-managers. From there, Hendrix's career would obviously take off into the legendary stature that it now holds, and I'm sure that I'll have more questions about Jimmy in future episodes, but for this one, I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about his breakthrough as the frontman for Jimmy James and the Blue Flames. All right, question number three was, in what city is Fort Bragg, the largest military installation by population in the world, located? And your correct answer is Fayetteville, North Carolina. Fayetteville is the right answer. Fort Bragg is a massive 251 square mile base that is so large it is registered as a census designated place. It is home of the Army's 18th Airborne Corps and is the headquarters of the United States Army Special Operations Command. The fort is named after General Braxton Bragg, who was a general for the Confederacy after his time with the United States Army. Bragg was a West Point graduate and actually didn't have all that much success on the battlefield, so I am kind of curious why they chose him. 
but regardless, um, that the fact that he was a general in the Confederacy makes Fort Bragg one of only 10 U.S. military institutions named after a Confederate officer. One of 10. So there's a little bonus trivia right there for you. Um, the fort was established on September 4th of 1918 as an artillery training ground. The Chief of Field Artillery, General William J. Snow, was seeking an area that had suitable terrain, adequate water, rail facilities, and a climate that was suitable for year-round training, and this spot checked all of the boxes in Fayetteville, North Carolina. With a population of only about 5,400 people before World War II, during the war, its populace ballooned to over 67,000 people. Today, Fort Bragg is home to over 50,000 service members and 30,000 civilians. To count for all these people, the fort is situated much like a small city with 34 restaurants, 15 medical clinics, 11 churches, 13 fitness outlets, an ice rink, a campground, a library, it's got hotels, it's got movie theaters, it's got it all. It's pretty much its own little bustling city. Um, and yeah, it's the largest military installation by population in the world, nestled right in the small town of Fayetteville, North Carolina. Question number four was, what famous American's epitaph reads, free at last, free at last, thank God almighty, I'm free at last. And your correct answer is Martin Luther King Jr. And we all know MLK as being the leader of a civil rights movement um, who led Americans through the struggle for black rights in the mid-1900s. Dr. King delivered these powerful words on August 28, 1963, during his polarizing I Have a Dream speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. That speech was one of the singularly most unifying moments in the fight for civil rights for black people in America. Unfortunately, there were and still are some who don't agree with his message, and on April 4th, 1968, he was assassinated while standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. 80,000 mourners attended his funeral, which was held at Ebenezer Baptist Church, the Atlanta Church, which he had once preached at. That was his regular preaching grounds, for lack of a better word. Um, King is buried at the nearby Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change, his gravestone inscribed with those famous words, which he actually had borrowed from a spiritual of the same name. Even though we have made huge strides in the quest for true equality since King's time, his fight for civil equality still rages on in America to this day, making the words on his epitaph even more strong. All right, question number five was, after restoration efforts in the early 2000s, at what angle does the Leaning Tower of Pisa tilt? And your correct answer, it tilts at an angle of four degrees off center. Four degrees is the right answer. The tower itself was built as a bell tower and its construction occurred over just about 200 years. The foundation of the tower, which was only about three meters, was laid on August 9th of the year 1173. 1173 is the year that this thing was started. The undersized foundation and soft subsoil which the tower was built on 
would ultimately lead to its now famous lean. Due to difficulty with construction of the tower's poor design, the construction was halted twice and the tower would not be completed until 1372 when the bell chamber was finally added to the top. There are currently seven bells in the tower, with one for each note of the musical major scale, the largest of which was added in 1655. Galileo was said to have used the tower dis to display that objects accelerate towards Earth at a rate independent of their mass. He did this by dropping two bowling balls with different masses off of the top simultaneously and observing that they hit the ground at the exact same time. At least four strong earthquakes have hit the region in the last 800 years, but the tower actually survived because of a factor called dynamic soil structure interaction. Basically, the height and stiffness of the tower combined with the softness of the foundation soil influences the vibrational characteristics of the structure in such a way that the tower does not resonate with the earthquake ground motion. So in a way, the soil that caused the tower to lean and not reach its original purpose also is the same soil that kept the tower standing during earthquakes. And again, that soil is the reason it tilts the way it does and the tower's angle reached almost 10 degrees before restoration efforts saved the tower from falling over completely. The goal of those efforts was to maintain the tower's lean for tourism purposes but also to make it stable enough to not fall any further naturally and in the end the group of engineers tasked with the project succeeded they removed over 70 metric tons of soil from the area during the project and for the first time in its history the tower stopped moving altogether um, the leaning tower of pisa is obviously still standing to this day and it's estimated based on those engineers calculations that it should remain in its exact place not moving or tilting anymore for the next 200 years and that brings us to question number six which was who was time magazine's first man of the year in 1927 and your correct answer charles Lindbergh was the first man of the year Lindbergh was famous for making the first solo non-stop flight across the Atlantic Ocean when he flew from New York to Paris. He achieved this feat on the days of May 20th and 21st of 1927. Now the key here is that he was the first non-stop flight. There were dozens of other aviators who made the journey in multiple stages or with others on board, for example. In 1919, um, two British pilots by the names of John Alcock and Arthur Brown famously flew nonstop from Newfoundland to Ireland in a Vickers Vimy plane before crash landing in a bog. <laughs> um, so they did it, of course, with two men in the cockpit and had a famous crash landing, but Anyway, during the 33 and a half hour flight, Lindbergh reported seeing apparitions with him due to his extreme fatigue. Um, from history.com, this is a quote directly from the website, quote, Lindbergh's biggest challenge during the transatlantic flight was simply staying awake. Between his pre-flight preparations and the 33 and a half hour journey itself, he went some 55 hours without sleep. Lindbergh went so far as to buzz the surface of the ocean in hope that the chilly sea spray would help keep him awake. 
but 24 hours into the journey, he became delirious from lack of rest. He later wrote of mirage-like fog islands forming in the sea below and of seeing vaguely outlined forms transparent, moving, riding weightless with me in the plane. Lindbergh even claimed that the apparitions spoke to him and offered words of wisdom for his journey. The hallucinations eventually faded, and only a few hours later, the exhausted aviator landed in Paris to a crowd of more than 150,000 jubilant spectators. So that is the little passage from Lindbergh via history.com. It's kind of crazy. Um, I've never stayed up that long, but I can't imagine it's much fun being by yourself in relative silence for that amount of time with that exhaustion. No wonder he was seeing things. Um, Lindbergh himself was a quiet, private man who time characterized with modesty, diffidence, singleness of purpose, courage, and occasional curtness. As he got older, he became a huge environmentalist, saying about the Earth that, quote, I would rather have birds than airplanes. So he was a good guy, um, worried about the environment, and his fascinating achievement from again, such a wonderful man, resulted in the honor of him being named as Time Magazine's first Man of the Year, which is a title now referred to as Person of the Year. All right, question number seven. Was originally written in Spanish, what is the best-selling book of all time after the Bible with an estimated 500 million copies sold? And your correct answer is Don Quixote. Don Quixote is the right answer. It was an epic novel by Miguel de Cervantes. It was published in two parts in 1605 and 1615. It is often labeled the first modern novel by literary historians, with some authors considering it to be the best and most important literary work ever written. The novel centers around a nobleman by the name of Alonso Quiano, who decides to go on a quest for adventure. However, most of his grand misadventures and humorously, such as the time he decided to attack a group of windmills because he believed they were giants. Um, author Miguel de Cervantes states that he wrote Don Quixote in order to undermine the influence of those, quote, vain and empty books of chivalry, end quote, as well as to provide some merry, original, and sometimes prudent material for his readers' entertainment. Because of his hero's pursuit of a chivalrous and adventurous world, the word chaotic has entered common vernacular to mean the impractical pursuit of idealistic goals. If you ever have heard someone describe something as chaotic, that is exactly what that means. It comes from our friend Don Quixote. Um, reception of the novel and its true meaning have been debated by literary experts over time, with the original interpretation being that it was simply just a comic novel. Next, it was seen mostly for its message that individuals can be correct in their minds even as society is wrong and disenchanting. In the 19th century, it was seen as a tragedy and a social commentary in which Cervantes sits on a side which is up to the reader's interpretation. This is because Don Quixote's idealism and noble quest are viewed by the rest of the world as insane, and thus his aspirations are rendered useless by common, normal reality. 
Um, it's been a while since I personally read the book, but because of its influence on modern literature, it's definitely on my list of recommendations if you are looking for a light but polarizing read. And apparently it's not too hard to find because, like I said, it is the second best-selling book of all time. Alright, question number eight was, what city is known as the gateway to the west? And your correct answer is St. Louis. St. Louis is the right answer. The city is known as the gateway to the west because in the 19th century, many settlers and adventurers, including Lewis and Clark, launched their journeys to the west from St. Louis. This was a time of great westward expansion as the United States stretched towards the west coast. The city was the perfect launch point because of its position along the Mississippi River and the fact that it was a major railroad center at the time. It was a larger city than modern metropolises such as Chicago. Most people are familiar, of course, with St. Louis's 630-foot-tall gateway arch. The monument was designed, exactly as you might expect, to pay tribute to the role of St. Louis in the westward expansion of America. The monument stands as the tallest man-made monument in the Western Hemisphere. I'll say that again. St. Louis's Gateway Arch is the tallest man-made monument in the Western Hemisphere. It was designed by architect Eero Saarinen in 1947 and its construction was completed in 1965 and it has towered over the city right along the Mississippi River since that time becoming a staple for the city of St. Louis and for historians as a reminder of the city's prominence as being the gateway to the United States Western expansion. And question number nine was, in what city is Howard J. Lamad Stadium, home of the Little League World Series, located? And your correct answer is Williamsport, Pennsylvania. The reason that the annual tournament is located in this small Pennsylvania town is that the father of Little League Baseball, Carl Stotts, was born there in 1910. Mr. Stotts had a vision to set up a youth league for kids in his neighborhood because he recognized that adult supervision of Sandlot games always had a tendency to stop the bickering amongst colleagues, which I think is pretty fair. Um, after garnering support from local boys, local parents, and local sponsors, he started his first Little League in 1939 with three teams, the Lincoming Dairy, the Lundy Lumber, and Jumbo Pretzel were the names of the three teams. The first game was played on June 6th of 1939 in Williamsport with the Lundy Lumber defeating Lycoming Derry 23-8 was the final score. The model that Stotts set up grew in popularity over the next couple of years, but because of World War II, by 1946 there were only 12 leagues officially partnered with his Little League. To grow the sport and bring a sense of community amongst Little Leaguers, they made a decision to organize what they called the National Little League Tournament. And the tournament was a huge success, with the Maynard Midget League of Williamsport um, eventually defeating the Lockhaven All-Stars and Championship game 16-7. There were 12 teams in the tournament, and more than 2,500 spectators at the final game with results of the game printed in newspapers throughout the country. 
The reviews of the game and overall publicity that the massive event gathered caused more and more little leagues to start up all over the country. Within just a couple years of that first tournament, every state in the country had a little league program. And the tournament would eventually be renamed, obviously, to the Little League World Series as we know it today. Um, by 1960, a team from West Berlin, West Germany, entered the tournament and became the first European team to play in the Little League World Series. So 1960, only 21 years after the first Little League game ever was played, there was a tournament which included a team from another country, which is pretty crazy. The series was broadcast live for the first time that year, too, on television on ABC. By this same year, again, 21 years later, Little League had exploded to include 27,400 teams in more than 5,500 different leagues. The popularity of the game and the popularity of the league continues to spread from that time with the Little League World Series now gathering over 1 million viewers on ESPN. Crazy to think about that many people watching a game that is essentially just a bunch of 11 to 13 year old boys, granted very talented boys, but they're all kids and to garner that much viewership is really something special. Um, another quick fun fact, um, I mentioned that they were all 11 to 13 year old boys and that is not always the case. There have been 19 females to play in the tournament along with their male counterparts. So shout out to those girls too doing their thing uh, playing in the Little League World Series and unfortunately I don't think there was one this year because of coronavirus but just as every year I'm excited to check out the Little League World Series and everything that it has to offer in 2021. And that brings us to question number 10, which is our last question this week. Question number 10 was, what name is given to days which have equal hours of daylight and darkness? And your correct answer is an equinox. Those days are known as an equinox. The word equinox actually translates from the Latin's word equi and nox, which mean equal and night, meaning equinox translates to equal night. An equinox marks the exact moment when the sun enters an imaginary ring around the earth that sits directly above the equator called the celestial equator. The sun only crosses this line twice a year on the vernal or spring and autumnal or fall equinoxes. And it is important to note an equinox is different from a solstice. Um, in a solstice, the sun hits the northernmost or southernmost points that it will ever hit in our sky. And whereas equinoxes mark the beginning of spring and fall, solstices mark the beginnings of summer and winter. Now due to the Earth's 23.5 degree angle relative to the sun, every region of our planet will experience close to 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of darkness, but it's not exactly 12 and 12 at every location. Um, there's actually an experiment that you can do that you're only able to run on the days of equinoxes. If you grab a straight stick or a long wooden ruler and a protractor and a compass, 
If you find an empty space, such as a park or a parking lot or your backyard where there aren't many tall buildings, trees or hills or anything like that, um, you find your location's latitude. So find the number of the latitude which your location is, subtract this number from 90, and then you will affix the stick in the ground at the angle of that number that you just found. If you are in the northern hemisphere, you use your compass to find south and point the stick in that direction at that angle. If you're in the southern hemisphere, you point the stick or the ruler or whatever it is to the north. Using the protractor to fix the stick in the ground at that angle you just calculated, um, if you wait till noon, you will see the shadow of the stick completely disappear. At noon, the stick will have no shadow at all because of the position of the sun in the sky on the day of an equinox. So that's just a fun little um, thing that you can do to observe the phenomenon that the equinox is. And the next one will occur not that far from now, actually. The date of the fall equinox in the Northern Hemisphere will be Tuesday, September 22nd. So just under a month from now. So if you're interested, you can try that uh, experiment out for yourself on that day. And yeah, so that's it for this week's episode. If you have made it along with me this far, I thank you for hanging out with me and I hope that you were able to learn a little bit. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review, uh, like, subscribe, or follow if you can on whatever streaming platform you're listening. Any feedback from you guys is huge and really helps us to take this podcast to the next level. Just as I have done the last two weeks, the first question this week was a fan submitted question. So if you have any fun facts that you know that you want to hear me talk about, or if you want to hear any trivia questions pertaining more to a specific realm of knowledge, if you want more movies, if you want more sports, whatever it is, you can leave that um, in a comment or a direct message to ThinkCap on Instagram at T-H-I-N-K-K-A-P. Um, I love seeing what you guys want to learn. So any fun stuff like that, don't hesitate to reach out. Let me know what you guys want to hear. Hopefully I'll get another one and then the first question of next week's podcast will be fan submitted as well. And maybe that'll just be a little tradition we get going here. So yeah, that's it for this week's episode. Uh, I want to thank you again for listening and I will catch you next week. Blacked out how the other night last maybe come around for a minute. Should I like that? I could never catch taking aim. Might have missed you. Couple hundred miles out if I hear the text. Mm, no, you're probably blacked out how the other night last maybe come around for a minute. If I'm ever gone, if you bought me in my face, please spare the better side. Tapped out in my hands, only for one time. Let her go, I'm trying the worst side.